Our second reading is from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the un because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The word of the Lord. Hey, it is uh, a pleasure to be back with you. I hope everybody's enjoying their summer so far and uh, that you were able to celebrate the 4th of July, our Independence Day, right? Uh, I I have had a number of different, um, if you think back to kind of your best memory, 4th of July, I remember celebrating a number of them, maybe as a young kid, I remember being uh, burned by sparklers, just bad idea where to hold them and such, and throwing them is not good, but um, I I do have memories of living for four years in England, because Johnny also lived in England, and I remember at one point celebrating Fourth of July there, and a bunch of my neighbors like, what what are you celebrating? You know, what's this holiday? I'm like, it's when we beat you. (laughs) You don't celebrate this? Your loss? Uh, they weren't familiar, and they didn't care for that. But anyway, uh, it, it is a time to pause to remember uh, actually the great sacrifice that was paid and has been paid over and over for uh, the freedoms that you and I celebrate. I said goodbye to my son Murphy this morning, who's in the Marines, who's heading off to the Mojave Desert for two weeks of training that he was not excited about. And uh, as you can imagine, two, two weeks of desert training is not too fun. So if you want to pray for him, awesome. And if you look it up, it's not Mojave, it's Mojave. So at any rate, we, we, uh, my wife Sandra and I have been really busy, just uh, dove right in. A lot of you have heard uh, me share before about our relationship with a lot of people in Ghana. And in late May, early uh, June, I was in Ghana uh, with a group of doctors. We took a medical mission trip, first time. So the, the people we've been working with there... We were actually able to take these, uh, lead, lead ER surgeon from Loudoun Hospital and some others came with us, and we went into these remote villages where there's just no medical care. And it was really an amazing week. I, I didn't know what I would do. I have no doctor skills. Uh, I've pretended to be one before in some skits, but that, uh, you know, in young life, but that's not the same thing. And uh, so I ended up being, they gave me crowd control. When, when you have... Over 100 people waiting to be seen by doctors. Crowd control is not the fun, you know, the most exciting job. It was the first village we went into. My mom got the job of, she was there too, got the job of giving out glasses to people that needed reading glasses. My job was entertain all these kids that were waiting. And I gave out these toys to the first village, and, um, which they referred to as baby toys, it, not in a negative term. They just loved them. And I realized when more and more kids started flooding out, they saw the freebies from the van. 
I was surrounded and realized I do not have enough of these baby toys. Um, and so uh, I just shut the van and said, no more, no more. And then they started to chase me, yeah, chanting, baby, baby. I'm like, okay, get away. And I ran, literally ran around the camp to, to get rid of them and keep them busy while their parents were seen by the doctors. It was quite exciting. We turned around, and then we went, uh, had a short break, and then we just took a group of 23 people to Lima Tambo, Peru, to work with orphans. Amazing trip. I think we have an image of our group that we just took there, and uh, it was an awesome trip, great trip. And on our way back, we were coming through Panama because we flew Copa. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had flight issues when you're flying, but uh, we had when We got into um, Panama in, into the uh, airport, and they said, sorry, there's no room for two of the uh, people. We've got to pull them off. We've overbooked the flight. And they pulled off. They chose to pull two students off. I'm like, you know, that, that's not going to work. We can't leave two students in Panama while we fly home and they come home tomorrow. They're like, we'll be in a nice hotel. I'm like, yeah, that's just a bad idea. And, and uh, I've got to tell their parents. So no. So my wife and I stayed back and, and then they ended up bumping one more person. So we had one more adult with us. We sent the rest of the kids back with the other adults. And this was this final leg of the journey. And, and you ever, you're in that situation, you think, I got to figure out who is, especially in a foreign country, I got to figure out who's in control here and make sure we know the right person to, to navigate this well and not end up sleeping in the airport. So I honed in on this really tall guy behind the counter, looked like he was in charge. I looked at his name tag, saw, you know, his name was Julio. So I, at some point when he wasn't really giving us attention, I said, hey, Julio, and he looked up right away, kind of abrupt, and looked at me like, you know, you, know, you never wear a name tag, you forget you're wearing it, somebody knows your name. Anyway, he looks at me, he tries to help us. What starts out kind of as a quick deal ends up being three hours with my wife and I and, the, and our little baby Capri, who was very good at first and then started screaming. And so we finally got carted off. But, I, but Julio, the guy who was trying to help us, vanished. And we're in this foreign airport. I'm like, come on. My wife is fluent in Spanish, too, so she's trying to help. But they've given us this other guy, attendant, who's much shorter than Julio. And I keep saying, like, well, look, dude, you're not helping us out. My daughter's crying. Come on. We, we got to get somewhere. Where is Julio? And he, he kind of looks at me strangely. I keep kind of pushing. Finally, he's like, you keep using this name, Julio. Who is Julio? I'm like, the tall dude who is helping us. He's like, oh, you mean Orlando. I'm like, I looked at his name tag. said Julio. He's like, that is July. It was the date the picture was taken was July. That's why he was looking at you strangely and probably why he left. I was like, I thought he was Julio the third. Anyway, whatever. Uh, you know, sometimes... Sorry, sometimes uh, we, we can think we have stuff right, we think we're doing the right stuff, or we think, man, i got to get navigate my way through something. You look for somebody in control, and you think, man, it's about who you know and getting through it. Things did work out. I was just glad to know my wife who spoke Spanish and got us through that. But you all have been uh, here at CCV, I think this is week six of this series of Gospel Driven, where you're looking not just at the four uh, accounts Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the life of Jesus, but you're looking at the good news of Jesus as it's shared in other passages throughout Scripture. And Johnny uh, asked me this morning to look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, which we just heard a little bit read from, but we skipped a, a verse right before the reading. It's actually verse 2, and I want to read that to you right up here. It says, Paul said, kind of uses strong words, he said, watch out for those dogs who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. I'm not sure why we left that one out, but just wanted to give you context, because you might think of the disciples or of the early apostles and, and uh, the Apostle Paul and think, uh, gosh, he was probably a guy who, um, you know, was really 
pretty spiritual. But here he is saying, watch out for these dogs. They do evil, man. They're mutilators of the flesh. Sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? You might say, well, what he's, well, that actually gives us context for what he's talking about this morning. And what he, the people group he was referring to were the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had come around and they tried, as you're talking about the gospel, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, what he did on our behalf because he loves us. And there was a group of religious leaders that kept adding to that. One of the things they added to it was a number of rules. Well, you have to do this. You have to do that. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the Ten Commandments. You have to keep the Sabbath. You have to keep... You remember, that's the same group of people that Jesus constantly had a hard time with. He would go and heal somebody who had a major illness. And what would... Rather rather than celebrate, the religious leaders going, no way this blind guy can see. The religious leaders go, it's the Sabbath. What are you doing healing on the Sabbath? I mean, do, do you not think something's backwards there? This is the group that Paul is now just as frustrated with, and he says, hey, watch out for the dogs, man. They do evil. They mutilate. These guys are going to add a bunch of rules to your life and make you miserable if you miss the purpose. So with that said, he tries to try to shift the gear and say, here's really what it's about, the emphasis it's about. Before we do that, though, I want to just kind of pause there. Before we say, look at Paul's kind of resume of what he said was... Uh, you know, what he did is kind of a, a way to fit in. I wonder, how do you measure up? In your mind, when you walk in here to church or to another place, and you, you ever size yourself up and you look who's, who else is in the crowd? It, we do this in sports especially. You, you come into it, you're, you're going onto a, a, a soccer field to play soccer if you've been watching the World's Cup uh, this week. If, if you uh, go into a certain place, you look immediately. We went to a race last night, my wife and I. Uh, this 5K deal, and Haley, my daughter, went over, and you immediately look around, like, who are the other runners? And you size up, like, who do I need to be? Who's faster? Who's slower? And so forth. I think we do this in a lot of different areas. You do it in a neighborhood, look at the size of their house, and so forth. We could do it with jobs, with position, with ranking. It happens in all sorts of platforms. Paul was saying it also happens spiritually. You know, we can size ourselves up and think, well, how, how do I measure up? And so my question for you right now is, how do you measure up? When you're thinking about it, so I want to give you a scale like some, what some people do. You can go to the next slide. So let's say we take, okay, this is our relative moral standard as we compare ourselves to others. So we might take, let's say, Mother Teresa on the one side, and then I put Hitler over there and I made him smaller because he doesn't deserve a bigger picture. Anyway, and we might say, okay, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler, but I, maybe I'm not as good as Mother Teresa and then let's say we add in, okay, there's criminals, I haven't been to jail, or if you have, maybe it was just a traffic violation. And you say, so I'm not as bad as them, but maybe I'm not still Mother Teresa. Then you might add another category, say the immoral, and then you can put your photo in next and go, well, here I am, um, I'm kind of over here. And as you're trying to compare yourself spiritually, you can draw a line between you and the others and say, well, this is the way it is, this is how I measure up, and so forth. And the, and the way a lot of people think is this. Well, all the people on that side, probably if there is a hell, they go to hell. And all the people on my, my side, Mother Teresa's side, and Johnny, Christina, they, they go to heaven. And, and we could just think that way. And, and that's kind of this, let's do good deeds and, 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 and really be good people and keep the law, kind of like those dogs were thinking. And, and what Paul's saying is, it's not, that's not the standard. According to the Bible, that's not the standard. You can go to the next slide here. According to Scripture, it says, let's say you take the same characters, and then you say there's another standard. And uh, if you put up God's standard, next one there, there's a different measurement. And with the measurement, 
um, God's standard, as we think about it, is not, uh, you can go one more there, um, is not, you know, if you, his perfect moral standard is not how good you and I behave or the rules we keep and so forth that those guys were talking about that Paul referred to. It's really more about relationship. It's about being in an unbroken relationship. So if God, Johnny, will you come up real quick? Thanks, man. Let's say Johnny is playing the part of God. If God created you and me, he created us to be in relationships. You can face us. And what, what the scripture talks about in terms of sin is not you and I doing all these bad things. It's really this. It's really saying, I don't want a relationship with the creator. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And that's what separates us. And we might size ourselves up. and We compare to all these other people like, they look really far away. Look how far away they are from God. And, and the the big lie in all that is, every time you and I take a step further from God, he's always right there. He's always just one turn away. He never leaves us. He's always present. And it's more about a, having an unbroken relationship with God than all these things we might do. Thanks. Let's give Johnny a hand. That was good. He practiced that for a while. Anyway, uh, so with that said, you know, we might take and say, well, what's the measure? What's the distance? What's the margin there between it? And the margin that you and I, as we're looking at this, to say, what is it? Um, you know, if you look at it, even Mother Teresa doesn't really measure up. Mother Teresa, by her own admission, made her own mistakes. Every human at one point or another has turned their back on God. In fact, Romans uh, 3.23 would say, all have sinned and fallen short. In other words, everybody's turned their back at some point on God. So we've missed the point. We've missed the standard. So if you take that, keep that in mind as you're looking at this uh, passage and saying, what was he, Paul, trying to say to us? What was he trying to understand? And, and with, with that, uh, you know, Paul, let's go back to verse 7. It says, but whatever, Paul said, was to my profit, I now consider loss compared uh, to, to knowing Christ. And you might stop and say, well, what, what was loss? Now, right after Paul said, look, you guys, you cannot keep the law. You can't be good enough. But he does a little boasting thing right after that. He says, well, if anybody could keep the law, it'd be me. And then he starts to give his little spiritual resume. And, and I'll just rattle off some. They're not up there. They're right here. I've got them. Verse 4, he says, you know, I could have confidence. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which was a requirement. I am of the people of Israel. I'm not a foreigner that came in later. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was the same tribe as, as David, and of Saul, who he was probably named after by his parents, King Saul. So he's probably in that same tribe, and so he's saying, I'm from Benjamin. That's kind of a significant line. Then he goes to the next thing and says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Remember, they, at this time, they were living in an oppressed society where the Romans had come in and taken over, and a lot of people were just kind of melding in and learning the other language. What he was saying was, I still speak Hebrew, write Hebrew, teach my, teach my family Hebrew. That's the deal. Like, we, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Then he went on and said, I'm a Pharisee with regard to the law. In fact, I was so zealous, I persecuted the church. Those who call themselves Christians that walked in a different way. He said, I did it all. As far as legalisticness, he said, or being legalistically righteous, he said, I was faultless. In other words, I kept all the requirements the religious leaders told me. And he said, here, when I'm going to compare those to knowing Jesus, he said, it's no compar comparison. It doesn't measure up. That's, it, it, it misses the entire point. He's saying that there's always a margin, even as good as we can get. It's not good enough. He's saying, and then he said, uh, as I just read a minute ago, let's go to verse 8. He says, um, 
What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, who for sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. Just stop for a minute. Here's what he's saying. Let me simplify for you. He's saying, you know what? Everything in my life I could strive after. Being good, getting, uh, you know, getting more uh, possessions, being materialistic, um, job, title, and so forth. All of it is, he's, what does he compare it to? Garbage. You know, one, one translation says rubbish, another says garbage, refuse. One actually said, that I was reading, said dung. It's, it's like dung compared. And there's an image I've got for you for just not of dung, but of garbage. And, uh, and here it is. Just, just imagine, these people are picking through, trying to find food. Certain people group in India trying to find food in the rubbish. And he's saying, you know what? Paul's saying, I'd rather know Christ. Than, than do all the other stuff. Nothing compares to this. And, and so uh, as we move on, it says in verse 10, he said, for this reason, he says, what's most important? He says, I want to know Christ. And, and, and then he starts to talk about what it would look like to know Christ. And he says, and the power of his resurrection. So in other words, he starts now talking about what's it mean to know Jesus? He said, the power of his resurrection now, who wouldn't want to know that? And when you read the accounts of Jesus and it says he raised somebody from the dead, who wouldn't want that? Like your friend's, uh, you know, dead. I heard somebody recently tell me, like, I think Paul was boring as a speaker. I'm like, really? Why is that? And they're like, because that time in Acts when he preached and the kid fell out of the window and died. I'm like, so he was boring because the guy fell out of the window and died? He's like, I was like, yeah, but then he went down and prayed over him and he was resurrected. That would kind of win him back to your sermon, don't you think? Like, someone died, but then they came back to life. Wouldn't everybody then be like with you? Don't die right now, please. And so he says, uh, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. That kind of power that Jesus said he had to heal, to resurrect, I want to know that. Who wouldn't want to know that? But then he takes it a step further. And he says, and, and uh, to share in the sufferings, um, the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And he says, verse 11, so, so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And, and he says, he goes on at the end and just says, you know, I haven't, just in case you're thinking, man, he sounds kind of arrogant. He says, not that I've already obtained all this. I haven't arrived. I'm still working it out. I'm still trying to figure it out. But he says, you know what? My goal is this, not to be good, but to know Jesus. So let's kind of break that down for you and me this morning. How are we doing with that? You know, when I was just uh, in Peru with this group, we worked with this group of uh, orphans in Lima Tambo, and while we were working with them, you know, we had these crazy experiences. We got to see the kind of food they ate. The delicacy there, this guy told us, the farmer Carlos said, we eat cooey. I'm like, what is cooey? Let me show you a picture of cooey. Um, next image there. It's really, does that not look good? It's guinea pig, fried guinea pig. And uh, we were finding these burnt, sorry, you can go to the next slide. People are getting ill or just get past that. Um, this is Isaura, one of the girls that uh, was one of the orphans there. And as soon as I got there, let me tell you, Isaura just ran up and hugged me and started, wanted to play. And there were a number of the kids ran out. They started playing with us. It was no, there was no need for introductions or anything. And we're kind of in there, and we're kind of uh, trying to figure our way, like, what are we going to do? Are we going to make a difference this week? You see, now, they didn't try to serve us cooey. A few people requested it. They just wanted to see what it tasted like. And, uh, but, but some of these kids ran out, and you're wondering, are we going to make a difference with these kids in one week? And I tell you, Isara came up, kid you not, I, uh, when I first, first got the orphanage, I sat down, and someone hugged me from behind. 
Like, who's that? I'm thinking, is this my wife? Somebody from our group? It can't be baby Capri because her arms wouldn't go around. But I, I turn around, and it's little Isara. I'm like, hey. And she didn't speak English. It didn't matter. She followed us all week. All these other kids came out. We're incredibly loving. They'd go to the next slide there. A group of the kids started, they came out and started doing all our girls' hair. I don't know why they wouldn't do mine, but they, they were braiding it up, and, and they just wanted to be around the people. And at one point during the week, my wife Sandra said, she invited the, the, the leader of the orphanage, would you come tell us their stories? And he came over to um, the place we were all staying, the lodge we were all staying in, and he had notes. And he, and he started off by saying this. He had a translator. He said, uh, We've had a lot of groups come and serve, but no one has ever asked us, what are their stories? I, he, was, he said, I'm moved. So I've taken notes. I'm, and he proceeded to walk through every child's story in that orphanage. Let me tell you, he didn't get far before people in the room started to cry because they realized, like, here's these kids we've been playing with this week that to us are just orphans. And, and maybe you equate that to whatever in your mind is an orphan, but when you had been playing with Isaura and some of the other kids during the week, and they started to say, well, a lot of these kids were abandoned. Um, a lot of them, their parents are alcoholics, can't raise them. Some of them were kidnapped and forced to work, and we don't even know who their parents are. One set of girls that was there, he said, well, uh, the father was uh, kind of out of his mind, so he killed their mother, and then the mother's parents, they avenged um, their daughter's death by having the dad killed. So they don't have parents, so, so they're here with us. And as you heard these stories of abuse and of neglect and of mistreatment, you wondered, how's this group of kids running up and hugging us? You know, Paul said, I want to know the power of his resurrection. You know, sometimes there is a, a place that takes you and I from death that we don't feel alive or you're not living in a place in this world that you ought to be. And Christ says, I can take that and resurrect it, man. I can turn that upside down. And in some sense, I want to say these kids experienced that. They were so appreciative of everything. And there was something about knowing Christ, like the, the way that Jesus loves us. Because if you look at his life, in the same way Paul was ticked off at the religious leaders who were trying to make it about rules, Jesus, the number one group he's arguing with all the time is the religious leaders. I have a family member here this morning that... Uh, I invited out. I won't single them out and embarrass them, but they said before they came over, they don't usually go to church, they said, I, I want you to know I'm not, I'm not, really, not religious. Not religious. It's cool because Jesus didn't like the religious people either. He was annoyed with them. He was annoyed because they always tried to make it about rules. And Jesus, every time he spent time loving sinners, messed up people like you and me, the only people that were annoyed with it was the religious leaders. And here's this group of kids, when they experience a group of adults loving them the way they deserve to be loved, it was like resurrection the way they acted. They came to life. They were more loving than our group was. We wondered, in fact, one of the guys, Dave, my friend over here, at one point said, I'm wondering, are we ministering to them or are they ministering to us? Because it was, it was really pretty significant what took place. Paul says, I want to know Christ that way, to love people that way. Then he says, uh, next, he says, um, even, even to know Christ in suffering. Yeah, that's a more difficult prayer. Not a lot of us welcome that prayer, correct? Even if I have to suffer. Now, now if, you, if you didn't catch it, we're reading about these, the gospel-driven passages. Well, in this one verse, he's giving you the gospel. Paul is saying, um, 
To know Christ through suffering, death, and resurrection, well, that would describe the life of Christ. The God, he suffered, he died, and then he came back to life on our behalf. And he's saying, do you want to know me that way? Do you want to experience the life that he modeled with him? Not go live and try to be good like him. With him is what he's saying. I want to not know about him. I want to know him. And he said, you know it through entering into the same lifestyle. That's how we know him. I said, okay, you mean to say that in Northern Virginia, California, New York, wherever I live, it's not about getting the bigger house and the better position and so forth. It's about actually, what did Jesus say? If anyone wants to come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. In other words, no, give up your own stuff to love other people. That's why the first church, I'm almost convinced, the reason they grew like mad was because people actually said, well, let's do what he said. That's where when Harry gets a raise and Steve loses his job, Harry says, well, maybe my raise was not to build an addition. It was to help the guy who lost his job. Maybe I ought to think kingdom-wise and about others and not building my own kingdom, but build his kingdom and live the way Christ called us to, to live. That's what knowing Christ means. It's not, we can make it all spiritual, like I want to go read my Bible, memorize Bible verses, pray more, go to church. That's not what, he's saying live like he lived. With him. So I'm telling you, uh, another example I saw this that I thought was amazing. was a little girl. You can show the next slide there. Um, this little girl on the left, her name is Monique. Met her a number of years ago at, at uh, CFC when I was on staff there. Little Monique, eight years old, um, was diagnosed with leukemia. That's her kissing her sister. And her parents had talked to her about knowing Jesus, and she'd done all the little VBS stuff, and or, or vacation Bible school, for those of you that don't go to church. But, but she'd done all these little, grown up in little church world. And all of a sudden, when she was told, you have a disease that may kill you, you know what she said? That's okay. As long as I can walk with Jesus through it, if he's really that real. And they said her prayer life, she started to pray all the time, talk to Jesus as though he was real. And they said when she was on her ward, the cancer ward at the hospital, Nurses started to request her because little Monique started to minister to them. They said when she was in, the, went in for treatment, they'd go in and she would say things like, come here, come here. And the nurses would tell stories to mom and dad when they would come back from work to, to get with their daughter. She'd say, the nurses would say, your daughter's amazing. Like she called me over and said, Jesus wanted me to tell you he loves you. Little eight-year-old telling you that? They walked with her through this, and I want to tell you that um, her, her mother... Uh, I, um, shared with us that at one, at one significant point, they said her, her relationship with God started to get so kind of, her relationship with knowing Jesus became so real to her. She would say, I saw stuff. I saw him. And she started saying, he, when I pray, he talks back to me. And people were so moved by this little girl and her faith. And the mother went in, Jennifer went in at one point to talk to her and said, honey, can I get you anything? She was going through another round of horrible treatment. And and little Monique said, do you mind if I, um, if I go be with Daddy? And she said, you can't leave the hospital now. Your dad's on a business trip. He'll be back Friday. And then to her shock, her daughter said, no, 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 Mommy. Not your husband, Daddy. I mean my heavenly father. I'm tired. Will you release me to go home? Can you imagine an eight-year-old saying that to you? She wept, and she said, I release you if that's where you want to be. She said that later that week, she passed away. I went to her funeral. And you know what her mother stood up and said? She, Jennifer said, 
I honestly believe that if she had asked the Lord, will you let me stay longer, he had a letter. But she said, I just love knowing Christ. I'm okay going home. You know, do we really want to know Christ in suffering or even in death, as Paul said? You know, um, for some of us, I realize we're all at different places here. And I realize for some of us, you might be going, we're still caught up on the treadmill of good works, going, well, I know, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm trying to be as good as I can, but anybody tired of that? Don't, do you really, I, I don't know about you. When I try to be good, I realize how bad I am. When I try to do things, it's like trying to go on a diet. And you're like, that looks so good. Why'd you make dessert tonight? You know? Why could we just have salad? And, you know, in the same way, it, when you try to be good, you realize you're, you're all of us, that drift we have when Johnny stood up here, back to our own way. That drift back to our own way, that separation. And Christ, we have this loving God that every time we step away, he steps closer. I'm right here. And he just waits for you and I to turn around and say, do you want to know me? And maybe some of us this morning are saying, well, gosh, uh, I don't really know Jesus. I don't know. It sounds kind of kooky to me. I don't know. Is, is it all that real? And I would encourage you, if you're in that place, to take a step of faith and just talk to him. I believe he's as, even more real than you and I right here. Because every time I take a step of faith and turn to him, I'm amazed that we get a response, an answer to prayer, or something happens. There's some of us in here that think, uh, that believe this lie that, man, if I just, um, uh, in a way of, you ever see the people at work, they do the minimum because they know they'll get the same paycheck? And you're like, dude, I'm pulling the load here. What is going on? You know those people? Don't, don't name them, but you know what I'm talking about? Some of us have believed this lie that Christianity is kind of like that. If I just do the minimum, go to church, do this stuff, and then I can get by and then still get this ticket into heaven. Well, let me tell you what a lie that is. And, and Paul was trying to expose the same thing. It's not about being good. He was saying the, the full life Jesus offered starts today. It's not when we die. It's right now. He's saying, I invite you to come and know me. The gospel truth is him saying, I died so you'd experience life now, not this whole, it's fire insurance for later. It's knowing Christ to live as he lived with him now. To go and say, I want to care for lost people. I mean, what if some of us said, our next family vacation, let's make it in the mission field. Let's go do something and serve somebody. Or let's do it up the road. You don't have to go far away to serve people. You can go actually to the, to the children's cancer ward up at Fairfax Hospital and say, I just, is there any kids that nobody's visiting? Our family would like to visit them. And that would be Christ. We could say, you know, I, you know, one of the things struck me at this place, Lima Tambo, this incredible mission ground, they're 70% self-sustaining. They started a farm and a bunch of other things to pay their way, so they're not going like this the rest of their lives to take care of these orphans. You know what really struck me? I said, how long has this orphanage been around? 135 acres, huge, and the, and the impact they're having on the surrounding area. They started a private school to impact the area. And, and they said, just 15 years. Like, well, who started? So what, what was here before here? Nothing, just woods. Like, so who's, I, I'm sitting back there, whose vision was this 15 years ago? And they named this dude from Texas. I said, where's he now? They said, he still comes back. I'm like, how old is he? You ready? He's 82. He started it at 67. So some of us that are thinking, what are you going to do for your retirement? Can you imagine starting a ministry to impact that many people in another country? Just because he said, you know, I could probably kick back and invest my money in a second or third house and golf and, and the rest of it. And I'm not busting on any of that. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying is, 
what are our values? If we say this is what life is, I think we believe a lie if we think life is all about entertaining myself and getting more from me. It's when we give ourselves away and live the way Christ lived that we experience real life. That we stop and go, man, no way. I mean, there's something about when we came home from a mission trip, all of us that were on the trip said, it's kind of a bummer when we got home. There was something about serving in community and, and caring and loving those people that made you feel more like this is the way God designed us to live. This is what knowing Christ means when you know Christ through serving. And it's funny, ironic that Mother Teresa, when she was asked, you know, uh, how, how is it that you can wash the, the hands of these diseased people and be with them and care for their sores and so forth? And she said, well, that's where I meet Jesus. When I do that, when I treat people like that, that's actually where I know him. It's not, it's not an easy, soft, you know, safe path. So I'd like us to stop and pray right now. And, and as we close and pray, whether you're comfortable with it or not, I don't care if you want to close your eyes or whatever, whatever you have to do to try to focus, uh, just trying to drown everybody around you out, let's take a minute just to be silent. And I asked the question earlier, how do you measure up? I'd like us to close with that same question, but really ask God, how do you measure up with the person he's made you to be? What does your life look like now? The things you've obtained, does it make you happy? Do they, do they keep you content? Is there something, bigger question, is there something you feel like maybe God made you for you haven't done yet? God, I pray as real as uh, everybody is in this room, your presence is here. We pray, God, that if there's things you want to speak to our hearts, that right now you might lay those things on our heart. What would you be calling us to do? What would it mean for us to know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of experiencing you in suffering, not even fearing death, but dying to ourself, to our own selfish desires? Lord, I pray if there's some people you want us to reach out to and love, you might Help us picture their faces right now. There's some people we could serve that would help us experience you. Give us an idea of what that would look like. Lord, we thank you for the way you love us, the way you modeled uh, unconditional love. We pray, God, that we might know you in the way we serve, in the way we trust you, in the steps of faith we take. We thank you for the way you love us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.